There's no better news than that, that Jesus finished the work his father had begun from the very beginning, that he redeemed the broken and sinful, all those who had put their faith and trust in him with a promise that as he rose again from the grave, that we too would rise from the grave victorious over sin and death. It is finished. And that is good, good news. If you are new with us today, visiting with us on Easter Sunday, can I just say I'm thrilled that you decided to worship uh, with us today. Uh, We don't take it for granted. We think it's a pretty big deal. And if you would just honor us by letting us know that you are here today, you can do it. Um, quietly to yourself. I'm not gonna make you raise your hand or anything like that. We have provided a way for you to do that. You can go to fbcsa.org slash connect. And it's a simple way um, just to let us know, hey, I worshiped with you today and then gives us an opportunity to connect with you at a later time. But we are just so honored that you chose to worship uh, with us today. Um, There's a few things happening on the horizon that I want to draw your attention to. The first is something that we call Super Saturday. Super Saturday is a pre-marriage enrichment, encouragement, opportunity, prep event for those who are on their way to getting married or those who've been married less than three years. It's an all-day event. It's a lot of fun, and it um, uses an online assessment tool to guide you through meaningful conversations on that day, and the next one coming is the 15th. Uh, April 15th would be glad to have you there. Also, big deal is coming on the 16th, a men's ministry catalyst event right here in 4th Street Crossing. We're inviting every single man in our church family and beyond, young, old. If you're a man, if you're a young man, you need to be in this room next Sunday evening. Our goal is to fill this room with men who have a desire and longing to build meaningful friendships with other men that results in looking more and more like Jesus at work, at home, in friendships, and we need you. So you be here next Sunday evening to be a part of that catalyzing event as we set a vision for how God is gonna move in the hearts and minds of men in this church family. Lastly, go and tell. We're in Matthew 28 today in the Great Commission, so it fits right in with what Easter is all about, the equipping of the church to be a part of retelling that story. And go and tell, uh, the 10th through the 14th, we want to equip you with some creative ways to do that. Um, You can actually pick this up on your way out. I believe I have it right here. It looks like this. And this will just arm you with some simple, creative ways for uh, you and how you can retell that story of what Christ has done and invite others to follow Jesus as you have done. It is so good to be with you on this Easter Sunday. It's good to be with you in God's word. After all, it's through the testimony of the apostles in his word, alongside the Hebrew scriptures where we know the agenda of God and how that is fulfilled in Jesus. Last week, we talked about God's agenda where God addressed Joshua and essentially asked, 
Are you on my agenda or your own agenda? The invitation of God with his people all along, with, along the way was be a part of what I'm doing. Be a part of what I'm doing. And that couldn't be more loud or clearer than what Jesus does in the Great Commission today. But interestingly enough, you probably already know this, but Joshua and Jesus even share the same name. Did you know that? Jesus is just a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua, and they share the same name, which means God saves. And in the same way that Joshua was tasked to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, Jesus fulfills leading his church into the land of promise where we have forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and a new heaven and a new earth. Joshua and Jesus. It's not too much of a leap to go from Joshua to Matthew 28. In fact, when it comes to God beckoning for us to join him in his agenda, no one was more committed to God's agenda than the Son. No one. No one was more committed to the ways of God than Jesus to the very, very end of his earthly life, dying on the cross as was the eternal plan of God to remake the world. And by the power of God, he rose from the grave, victorious over sin and death. And it's here in Matthew 28, as we are going to see, when they behold the risen Jesus on that mountain, they couldn't help but fall and worship. By far the majority of there, even though some doubted, Worship this risen Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, who was fully God and fully man. With that said, will you stand with me? And we're going to read verses Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 together. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Um, and so, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and the feet and the heart to obey every single word. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I wanna spend some time on the words uh, that Jesus said to his disciples. Uh, but before we get to those words, let me just remind you again, this is Jesus already risen from the grave. This is uh, day 40. Jesus had about 40 days after he rose from the grave. We don't know how often he spent those days with his disciples. We have a few of those moments captured, but nonetheless, the whole time he had been calling them to this moment, meet me in Galilee on this mountain, not, not unlike Moses before him who would stand on the mountain and deliver that, those covenant guidelines, the law from way back when. 
In the same way, on that mountain, whom he had called his disciples to come to receive this message, he delivered to them this prime directive, this most important purpose to the disciples and the church that we call the Great Commission. And it's in this moment, even before he spoke these words, that these that were before him worshiped him. Now, the scriptures tell us that the 11 disciples were certainly there. We know that to be true. But there are many who would make the case that there are far more than just the 11 disciples. We get this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, You know this text, and Paul is trying to provide historical evidences for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And in that list, he says, The disciples saw, I saw, and even 500 in one day saw the risen Christ. And there are some who think that this was that moment. So you had the 11 disciples along with potentially 400 and something odd other people that were at that mountain, many of whom were seeing Jesus, the resurrected Christ, maybe for the first time and couldn't believe themselves, worshiped him as the son of God, even though some may have doubted, still trying to wrap their mind around, is this really the one we saw die on the cross? But the scriptures tell us that many worshiped him. In verse 18, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples. He invited them to come to this mountain, Galilee, because he had something to tell them. And he says this, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And so the first thing that Jesus has to say to the 11 and all those who are hearing him, maybe even 500 other people, he says, I want you to know that I have been given all authority in heaven on the earth. There's nothing more holistic than that. This is Jesus saying, I want you to know I'm in authority over everything the universe, and all the people therein. Up to this point in the incarnation, we know from Philippians chapter two, in that beautiful Christ hymn, it describes Jesus that he didn't hold on to his rights as God, but he condescended to man, became fully man, and even became a servant, even to the point of death. And this is Jesus saying, you know what? For 33 years of my life, I yielded myself to other earthly authorities like Pilate and the Jewish leaders. But he wants wants us to know, he wants them to know then and us to know now, that came to an end. All the rights and privileges that I gave up in my incarnation and I'm yielding to Pilate and the Jewish leaders, I now reclaim. I am the king of the universe. There is no greater authority than mine. And it's an authority to command. It's an authority to command. That's why in the very next verse, he says, therefore, because God has restored all of my authority over every single man and woman, over the very universe, I can give you a prime directive a primary purpose, a great commission. It's not unlike those earliest days of creation when God spoke over creation and it came into existence. It's not unlike Genesis chapter one, verse 27, when he says, all right, man and woman who I've made in my image, now go 
be fruitful and multiply. Spoke with authority. Authority. Psalm 29, I, I love how Psalm 29 captures the power of the very word and voice of God. Listen to these words. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. There's no one greater, more glorious than God. And now his son, Verse three, the voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The, the voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare. In his temple, everyone shouts glory. And the voice of the Lord says, go and make disciples. No greater authority. Give his disciples and those 500 and the church today, he says, with that authority, I say, go and make disciples. He also has the authority to finish it. Now hear that in here. We see it also in this, the last verse of this text in verse 20 where he says, can I also remind you that I'm with you always even to the end of the age? This is Jesus asserting, not only do I have the authority to tell you and command you and equip you to go, but my authority will see to it that the job is done. Isn't that a little reassuring? That there's no greater purpose on the planet than the one that God gives to us? And he says, by the way, I'm gonna make sure it happens through the church. I'm gonna finish it. If God doesn't have the authority to finish it through the church, we're in trouble. And of course we know that becomes a reality through the sending of the Holy Spirit. It says you won't be alone. You'll be equipped. You'll be sent through the power of the Spirit of God and by his authority, that great commission will be finished one way or another. It's good. It's not the only thing that Jesus says, of course, with his authority, he says, go and make disciples. Verse 19, therefore, because of my authority, go and make disciples of all the nations. Can I just remind you how we started this series with the promise and command of God from the very beginning to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it and that promise to Abraham that I have set aside you and your family and you'll be a father of princes and nations and through you, you will bless the whole world. This is, this is fulfilled here. This going and making disciples is, is an echo of that original command from Genesis chapter one. It's an echo of that original promise given to Abraham and David. It's no different. And this way we fill the earth 
we're fruitful and we multiply by making disciples and baptizing them and teaching them. What is a disciple? Have you thought about that? What, what is a disciple? A disciple, if we're just to look at the ministry of Jesus, right at the very beginning, he started calling these men to himself and he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they said, yes, I will follow you. At the very basic level, a disciple is simply one who says yes to following Jesus. I'll do it. And all along the way in this following of Jesus, they see him at work and what he's all about, the kingdom of God and how he lives and loves. And they begin to adopt those ways and practices for themselves. And even from the very beginning, you remember when Jesus was interacting with those who first believed or were thinking about belief. Remember he said, I, uh, in the same way that you believed in God. Now this is startling. He says, in the same way that you believed in God, I want you to believe also in me. So discipleship is saying yes to following Jesus. It's believing in this Jesus as the son of God, knowing that he has all authority. And then along the way, just like this says, a disciple is someone who begins to live like Jesus and obeying the commands of Jesus in all of life. That's what a disciple is. Baptism, a disciple is one who is baptized, who says yes to following Jesus, who learns to live like Jesus in all of life and symbolically demonstrates that by this wonderful symbol of being immersed into water in the same way that Jesus died, buried with him in baptism and risen to newness of life. That's what a disciple is. He says yes to following Jesus, believing in him and becoming more like him and professing that initially to the world by way of baptism. And he says, I want you to do that. I want you to make those. In the same way that I made you, in the same way that I called you, I want you to call others. Remember I told you I, don't, I wanna make you, I'm gonna make you fishers of men, this is what I mean. Go make disciples, people who will say yes to me, believe in me, become like me, and let the whole world know through symbolic baptism. I think it is interesting that there's a lot that Jesus didn't say in this moment. Or all that Jesus didn't say in this moment I think is pretty telling for us. Um, in my mind as I think about this moment, this is his last earthly moment with his disciples and all those who were in that place at that mountain. And logically, I would think that the last thing that Jesus would have to say would be the most important thing. Don't you think? That, that he wants to give them the most significant 
directive in all of life in this last moment that he has with him. And there's a lot that he didn't say. He didn't say, now this is what I want you to do. I want you all to get married and have 2.5 kids. He didn't say that. He said, listen, I want you to work really, really hard to secure your retirement. I want you to make sure you have enough squared away so that you can be secure and comfortable in your retirement. No, this is, I want you to make sure, this is, what I want, this is your directive, I want you to make sure you have the right people in political office. Give your life to that. Didn't say that, he could have. He didn't say, I want you to stand from afar and judge a lost world. Make sure you stand on your moral ground and let the rest of the world just how, know how horrible they are. He didn't even say, I want you to hire the best people, the best architects to build the most wonderful and beautiful church buildings. He didn't say that. He didn't even say, I want you to gather people in classes and to talk about the Bible. He didn't say that. Now, there are a lot of things on that list that are all well and good that I think we should be doing. But I think one of the things that Jesus would say out of that Great Commission or Prime Directive that he says, if all those other things aren't oriented around that one thing, then you've completely missed the point. If your vocation, if your family, if your recreational activities, if whatever, just put it in the list. If your Sunday school, if your small group, if your church building is not about the prime directive, this great commission to go and make disciples, then we're not, in essence, doing what God has commanded us to do. That prime directive. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 19 through 23. Let me read these verses. Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ but I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. Verse 22, when I'm those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. What is Paul saying? And I know we're not Paul. But Paul is saying, listen, I, I want you to know that I orient all my life around the great commission to make disciples. I, I'm, I'm willing to bend and shake. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I didn't mean to rhyme there. Whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. I'm gonna posture myself and put myself here and I'm gonna become weak. I'll be strong. I'll, I'll be under the law. I'll, I'll be with the Gentiles. Whatever it takes, I'm gonna position myself so that I can live out that greatest commission that Jesus gave on that day on that mountain in Galilee. 
all of life, all of life and living filtered through God's prime directive to make disciples. If we don't orient who we are as a church, it doesn't matter how wonderful the things that we do. We're missing the point. The question I wanna ask over the next few minutes is this. What keeps us from going in the ways that we ought to go? As individuals, as families, and as a church, what keeps us from going? And orienting our life around that prime directive, that great commission. What, what keeps us from being like Paul that says, man, God has placed me in this vocation with this gifting and this skill to bless him and invite others to follow Jesus. What keeps us from doing that? I just have a few ideas that I want to mention and hopefully be encouraged as we may see this in ourselves. The first issue, I think, is an issue of authority. It's an issue of authority. It's us not fully recognizing the authority that Jesus has in our life. In some ways, we demote Jesus to a a great idea. Uh, Maybe, man, he's really comforting for me and I need him to draw near. Those things are true. Uh, We do need the presence of Jesus in our life, but we neglect to see him as one, as that voice, that thundering voice of God that has authority in us to say go. Somehow we diminish him. Now, I'm not saying this happens in my home. It may happen in yours. But have you ever had the experience, if you're a mom or dad, and um, you leave the house and you tell your kids or kid and say, hey, listen, before we get home, can you please get all the clothes off the dining room table? That's where we put all our laundered clothes. They just end up in a pile. On Y'all have your spaces. Don't look at me like. <laughs> Y'all don't do that. Ours is on our dining room table. And we leave the house and say, we want the, can you just make sure the dining room cl- table's clear? Everything that's yours needs to go in your room. And we come home and the table's still the way that it's left. And then we ask our kids, they're like, again, this doesn't necessarily happen at our house. Um, we, we, they say, um, yeah, but we, we really did a number in our bedroom. We took care of our bedroom and we did the dishes. We did the dishes and cleaned the, wiped down the doorknobs and light switches and we vacuumed the house. But we're like, but, but you didn't do what we asked. The one thing that we asked, you didn't do. It's an issue of authority. We find ways to do all these other good things, which is gonna be similar to my last point here, but we find a way to do other things that perhaps God has said to do in the past or to continue to do, but for some reason, we that authoritative part of his voice to clean the dining room table, we just say no. But look at all the other things that I'm doing. 
And after a while, as a parent, there's consequences. Don't think there aren't consequences for the church either. The second issue of what keeps us from going, I think, is the issue of shame. It's the issue of shame. We see this take shape in uh, Corinth, the church in Corinth. It was a Greek city, very prominent, very influential city culturally, uh, from philosophies to immorality. I mean, everything happened in Corinth. And this young church in Corinth learned very quickly that talking about a crucified Jesus just didn't fit in the marketplace. Not, don't even talk about the resurrection. They were like, your savior is a, he died on, the, on a what? He was executed? Yeah, we don't talk about crucifixions here. And you mean that someday this, or this savior rose bodily from the grave? Ooh, that's just disgusting. That's, and one day we're gonna rise too? Who wants that? The, the cross and the resurrection didn't fit in with the worldview of the Romans and the Greeks And that brought shame on this little church. So they just started, as they talked about Jesus, the cross is kind of like this under their breath. Or they stopped talking about the cross altogether. They felt shame. We do too. Jesus doesn't fit in the world's worldview. Not even a little bit. I mean, as long as you keep him as a nice guy that does good things, or fits into their particular agenda, he's great. But the moment you say that he died for your sin, the moment you talk about a cross, we don't talk about Jesus. And we carry that. I don't wanna talk about Jesus because of what they think about Jesus. I want you to hear the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. This is what he said in verses 18 through 19 when he was encouraging this church. He said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. This is Paul is saying, do not discard the power of the cross in Jesus. Do not switch out words and reduce the gospel to niceties. We are so reluctant to talk about Jesus in the marketplace, but let's just be honest, because we're shameful of talking about Jesus and what our peers or colleagues might think. Paul says, when you do that, you rob the gospel of the very power it has to save. Don't be ashamed. Can you imagine if Jesus buckled or Paul buckled under shame? gosh, I'm not gonna heal that person today. What if, I just, the Jewish elders are right there and, and it's a Saturday, I mean a Sabbath, I can't do that. Or Paul, when he's in Rome, gosh, I just can't talk about, man, they're really gonna give me a hard time. We have, have to invite the spirit of God to give us confidence in the cross the resurrection of Jesus and invite people to follow that guy. 
transform the world. The last thing that I think keeps us from going in the ways that the prime director of the Great Commission calls us to go is an issue of preoccupation. Perhaps this hits us more than anyone on the planet because the Western world, the American world, is preoccupied with a thousand and one different things. We have no time for anything. Luke chapter 10, verses 41 through 42, verses around that, tells a story about Mary and Martha. Some of you know this story. And um, Martha's busy getting, uh, as the host, everything prepared for the disciples and Jesus to come have a meal with them. She's just busy, 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 busy. Mary, as soon as Jesus shows up, she can't help herself but be right near Jesus, right at his feet. And Martha comes and complains and says, can't you see, Jesus, I'm working my tail off. I'm doing all these wonderful things in preparation for you. Can you please tell Mary to get off her tail to help me? And Jesus says, no, she's chosen what is best. We can be so preoccupied. This goes back to my first point under this. We can be so preoccupied doing all these wonderful things, all the Bible studies, all the Sunday school, all the this and that and worship gatherings, which are great. They're all good things and we're called to do them, but not to neglect the best thing which God has called us to do. Make sure you get that dining room table cleaned off. Join me in what I'm doing and remaking the world. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. He will finish that if we will just let him do it through us. Um, when my middle child was born, um, we were in the room doctor's there, and right when she is to arrive, the doctor turns to me and says, do you want to do this? I'm like, what? I mean, you're the doctor. You're the expert. Uh, you're the one that's hired to do this. You're getting paid a lot of money to do this. <laughs> and you want me to come? And she's like, absolutely, yeah. Do you want to be a part of this? And I said, Yes. And so I got to catch my middle daughter. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but what a privilege and joy, and that's God's invitation to us. You don't lose out or miss out on life by participating in the Great Commission and Prime Directive. You have the joy of bringing new life into the world. And we get preoccupied with other things. Just a few months ago, I was in marriage in 3D. And um, we give out, for those of you who don't come to marriage in 3D, you need to, uh, if, you know, married and stuff. Um, we give out, we give out, even if, even if not, you're welcome. Um, we give out uh, door prizes at the end. And I had them on my hand at the beginning of Marriage in 3D, but I set them down on a table or somewhere. I didn't know at the time. And literally 20 minutes in, I'm like, I have no idea where I put the door prizes that we're supposed to give out at the end. 
I was really, I was so distracted. I was looking, looked all in the back, front, back, looked everywhere. I had no clue where they were. And um, some, sometime around 20 to 30 minutes in, uh, this woman stands up from her table, goes and gets two cups of coffee and some more dessert because we provide dessert. It's one of the D's in marriage in 3D. Um, and, and she comes back and I realize her hands are full. So I ask her, I said, can I help you? And so I took one of the cups of coffee and I'm following her to her table and I set the coffee down on her table and guess what was on the table? The gift cards. I've been looking for them for 30 minutes. Now, now getting someone coffee and saying, hey, can I help you? I mean, it's a small thing, it's insignificant, but I walked away from that moment thinking, if I had not been willing to be a servant or perhaps even obedient to Jesus in that moment, I would have missed out on finding those gift cards. Now, here's the point, is sometimes I'm convinced that we miss out on the blessing that God wants to give us when we refuse to obey the things he asks us to do. We miss out. First Peter chapter 4.11 says, I want you to serve by the very strength that God provides, but if we never serve, we will never experience the strength that God provides, never. So my question for all of us today, as an individual, as a family, as a church, is this, is what adjustments do you need to make today to reorient your life around the Great Commission and have everything filter through that prime directive? Who in your life, I mean very practical here, who in your life right now in the different places that you go, your workplace, the soccer field, the grocery store, the same person you see every time at this restaurant, who in your life needs to be invited to follow Jesus today? And will you make the posturing adjustments to invite them to do so? in your neighborhoods, your communities, around our church building, what will we do? Let's pray together. Father, in this time of reflection in the Lord's Supper and response, Lord, move us, and that includes me. Help me to pay attention to reorient my life around your great commission and the authority that your son has. Help us to be the kind of church, increasingly so, that is ambitious to go and make disciples of the nations. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today.